like I'm not this like extremely smart dude that is coming up with all these innovative ways. I'm just taking other people's ideas and implementing them in my own life because they work, right? Success leaves clues. So again, not reinventing the wheel, just being smart. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Today, we have another young entrepreneur who is just crushing it. And the cool thing is, Craig is actually from my hometown, which is a town of 10,000 people. So what are the odds that Fi is this widespread concept? Because we kind of think of ourselves as this little niche, but lo and behold... People are doing it everywhere. Yeah, Cody, and you're not lying when you're talking about this guy being young. I mean, 25 years old and already almost done with his career, it's pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, he has the systems in place, but he still likes his job. So he's going to have the option to quit in probably one or two years from the cash flow from his real estate investments, which is just absolutely insane. And along the way, spoiler alert, he's only spending like five to $600 a month on expenses, but I don't want to give away all his secrets. Come on, Craig. I've always kind of been a saver, and I think that's just from kind of just my upbringing. Cody, I think you and I, we grew up in the same town, so we know that's you know not the richest of towns. And so my parents, it was always kind of like a scarcity kind of mindset. And so I just grew up with that. And so that's kind of where it all came in. And I was always trying to just save money in any way possible. And that's kind of always been like the way I've kind of operated. So in high school and in college, I was always you know keen on saving money. I always brought my lunch. You know, in high school, I'd actually, I'd do this thing where my mom would always pack me two sandwiches. And so I would only eat one of them and then I'd usually sell one of them. <laughs> and so that was kind of like the first, the first start. And I had that going for a while, probably, probably about halfway through high school. And then my mom started getting a little bit suspicious when both of my sandwiches had different, or- I needed different orders for different sandwiches. <laughs> and then she kind of caught on. She still went with it and stuff, but it was still, uh, it was still just funny. So, you know, I would make like three to $5 every day on my lunch. Uh, and that kind of just kind of started all of the entrepreneurial, I guess, games and saving and all that. And that kind of just went into college. Like I've always had a job. I've always been trying to keep my expenses low and saving. So between all my jobs coming out of college and you know, I went to a school called Northeastern, which does like these co-op programs where you have basically we do three over the course of five years. We do three six month internships where you get paid, at least in the program that I was in, you get paid between like 15 and 35 dollars an hour, depending on your experience. So you basically are working full time for six months, getting like a real on a real salary, and you're able to basically save a lot of that money, like you would, you know, in your professional career. And so uh, I was able to save a decent amount there. And then again, I didn't know what I was saving for until you know about a year after I graduated. I like just absolutely hated my job uh, in California. And I was just working, you know, seventy, eighty, ninety hours a week, and just not getting compensated fairly for it. At least so I thought. And so the straw that broke the camel's back was when I was spending a weekend down in Big Sur out in California. For those of you who don't know, Big Sur is one of the most beautiful places in the country. And there was no service down there. And so me and my girlfriend at the time, one of our last weekends together because she was moving back to Paris. And we just had like a wonderful weekend, no cell service. So there was just like nothing to possibly bother us. And then Sunday night, I get back our last night together. I get this email from my boss saying that I have to get this memo out by 8 a.m. Eastern time, 5 a.m. California time. And so basically I spent the last night us together working. So when either I was happy, she was not happy. And I was like, man, like, am I going to marry this girl? Probably not. 
but this is like a preview to the rest of my life. And I can't have this happening for like, you know, for my family and stuff like that, you know, 20 years down the line. So that's when I kind of started stumbling upon financial independence and real estate investing in particular. And I kind of just went down the rabbit hole from there. Sorry, kind of a long-winded answer, but. <laughs> so Craig, this internship program that you were in sounds like amazing because college debt can be so crippling, but you know, I'm curious, did you actually choose your school based on this program and how that fit in with like your school year or was it something you just kind of randomly fell into? Yeah. So, so the way it worked was like, you basically worked from either, there was two rotations and you were assigned to either one and you stuck to that one for your whole time there. So you either worked from January to June or worked from July to December. And whenever you were working, you were in classes for the other six months. So for me, I was working from July to December and in classes from January to June. And I did that rotation for three years. That is the reason why I went to Northeastern was because I knew that I was going to come out of Northeastern with three real jobs on my resume. And I was going to get paid for those jobs while there. Now, I didn't know I was going to save as much as I did while I was there. That just kind of happened as I was going through it. But I did know that I want to get a good job when I graduate. And so, you know, this pretty expensive school is going to be worth it because I'm going to be ahead of the next guy because I'm going to have three legitimate jobs on my resume versus just maybe one summer internship. So Craig, something you mentioned, you kind of glossed over it quickly was how you were able to save an incredible amount of money. So what kind of money are we talking about in your undergraduate years? Let's see, I came out of college with about like $20,000 or so saved up. Uh, and then over the next couple of years, I saved about 10 just from my work. Year two out of college, I had about 30 grand saved up. And that is kind of what allowed me to get to the next level, which is kind of it's house hacking and for those of you who don't know what house hacking is, house hacking is basically when you purchase a property you with a low percentage down loan, usually three up to 20%, and you live in one part of the house and rent out the other parts of your house such that the rent from your tenants is covering your mortgage fully. And so you completely eliminate your living expense while also paying down a property. So it's an extremely powerful way to build wealth. And anyone who is looking to pursue financial independence very fast I think this is one of the most efficient and effective ways to do so, especially if you're young. So did you start house hacking while you were in college? Like, was it your sophomore year where you actually got that first investment property? No, 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 no. I didn't start house hacking until I was graduating from college. So about two years out of college, I started house hacking. In college, I would just live really cheap. I'd always have a roommate. I didn't live by myself until my very, very last semester at college. I always had a roommate. And so that allowed me to... I was in Boston, so instead of spending 1000 to 1500 bucks in rent, I was spending like... 500 to $700 in rent while splitting a room. So again, that kind of has just allowed me to save over time. So I've got to stop and just give you a little praise because, you know, it's one thing that you were looking for ways to save so much money at a young age, but then to turn and spend it so responsibly on an investment property, you know, that's pretty incredible. So Craig, could you talk some numbers on that first house hack? Like how much did you put down? I know on like a $300,000 property, that's like 10.5 down with a FHA loan minimum amount. So where exactly was the house that you bought and what was the price point and what were you achieving for rents? Yeah, so I bought a duplex townhouse basically about a mile and a half from my office in Denver, Colorado, about five blocks north of Denver's largest park and a mile and a half from the office. And so I purchased this property for $385,000. And so with the down payment plus all the closing costs and everything, it I ran about 17,000 down and it was completely new and remodeled. So there weren't any rehab costs or anything. So for $17,000 down, I had myself a property. Now the rent on that property. So I, I lived in the bottom unit and I rented out the top unit full time. The rent on the top unit was 1750 and the rent in the bottom unit. So 
I lived in the bottom unit, but I also rented out my bedroom. And I basically put up like a curtain and a room <laughs> divider and slept on a futon for a year. And so I Airbnb'd out my bedroom and I made about $1,100 a month on that. And so total rent was about 2,800 or so a month. And my mortgage was 2,000. So I was saving, you know, 800 to $850 a month over the mortgage while living for free. Yeah, I remember seeing the picture of that, Craig. And I'd love if you could just describe for the listeners the contraption that you had set up in your living room and what your bed looked like. Yeah, so so I intentionally bought a like one of those like typical futons with basically you know with a big black mattress on it, and you know I intentionally bought it because I knew I was going to move out of there and turn it into a full time rental. So and I didn't want to like buy another couch, so I just like you know I made the futon into a couch and I moved out by just lifting the handle, and so that's how I was sleeping. And basically, I had like this cardboard box on one side of it, and then the other side, which is where I entered in and out of my living area was basically this curtain that I just opened and closed and I would paper clip the curtain to the box <laughs> to make sure that you know you couldn't really peek in between and I mean if you really wanted to see you could see but I don't think anyone was really that interested in watching me sleep I mean it's obviously a fantastic financial decision but some might look at this and say man this is crazy it's extreme and even if you don't see it's extreme I feel like you know you need to be passionate about some goal to live that lifestyle so what was your goal or motivation for this unique house hack so, you know, I just wanted to, I guess, do two things. I wanted to take advantage of my current situation. You know, you hear, I'm sure you guys hear it too, because you're young as well. Like everyone who's older and has a family says, oh, if I was your age, I would do it this way. So I kind of just take what they say and do it that way. You know, just like listen to the elders and what they wish to then and do what they did. Uh, and then, you know, David Ramsey always says, live like no one else now so you can live like no one else later. And so that was another thing I was thinking to myself, like, hey, like, I don't know anyone else who is really doing this. So I'm going right. to hopefully take advantage of all of these things that come my way. And so the only way for me, like that property, I would be paying about $250 on that mortgage each month had I not done that, which is still pretty good. But I was really adamant about not paying a dime towards that mortgage. And so that was kind of like the way I was creative to get that property. And so it worked good. A little over a year later, I'm very grateful to have a bedroom now. So if you want to be grateful, deprive yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so Craig, something that I personally know that I'd love for you to share is you weren't quite satisfied with just getting the rent from someone living in the bedroom of your duplex and renting out the other duplex. You were also doing another sharing economy type thing to earn some extra money. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, I think you're talking about the car. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had a 2013 Toyota Prius C, which is great on gas mileage and a very good, reliable car that I bought for cash right when I first moved out to Denver. And so I did not have any loan payment or anything like that. But again, so my, my house was one and a half miles from the office, so I wasn't going to drive in every day. I rode my bike into the office and I just like was driving by my car every day like, man, this is just sitting here doing nothing for me. So I was thinking, okay, how can this car, how can I turn this car, which is a you know, rich dad, poor dad liability into an asset? And so I knew about Turo because I had used it before. So Turo, for those of you who don't know, is like the Airbnb for car rentals, basically. You basically rent your car out to people for a certain amount of time and they pay you by the day. And so I put my car up on Turo and you know, was making about $30 to $40 a day on that car while you know, it was just making me money while I was riding my bike in and out of the office every day. And on the off day where I had my car and no one was using it, those are the days I would run the grocery shopping errands and all that kind of stuff. So you know, that was making me another between 400 and $700 a month as well. That's awesome. And so I hear people's biggest contention with Turo is the insurance problem. So 
Have you had any problems with anyone dinging up your vehicle? And how is Turo at handling those types of problems? So this is perfect because this just happened to me in the beginning of August. So I was renting my car out like usual and I get a call from the driver and he says, hey, Craig, yeah, uh, you know your car? I'm like, yes, I know my car. Well, you know, you should probably forget it because, you know, it's completely wrecked. I'm like, oh, really? And so I was a little nervous. I didn't really know what, what the repercussions were, what the situation was. So he sent me a picture of the car. And again, it was totally wrecked. Um, thankfully, him and his girlfriend and, and the people in the other car that it got the wreck into was, were okay. But again, it was just complete disaster. And so we filed an insurance claim after going through all of the process and all that. I actually ended up getting more back for the car than I actually paid for the car initially. So I paid ten grand for it, and they gave me $11,500 for it because that was the actual true value of the car. And so now I'm going to go and buy a, a median income car, probably like a five dollars to $7,000 car, keep three dollars to $6,000 of that, and now I'll kind of have a car for myself and be able to pocket three dollars to $6,000 while, you know, while I was cash flowing on that car for the last six to 12 months. It's great to get those firsthand experiences so that people aren't so scared of things like Turo. I mean, it is a lot more uh, misunderstood than something like Airbnb, but the insurance really is great. I mean, I had my car, the whole front end had to get painted while I was down at Camp Fi South where me and Cody actually met for the first time. You know, they handled it great, paid for everything. I didn't have to do anything other than drop the car off at the, uh, you know, at the auto body shop. But enough about Turo and enough about, you know, the car. I think what people are really interested in is this house hacking, especially at such a young age. And when you got that first property and it did so well, did you feel, you know, satisfied with what you had and you think, you know, I'll sit, I'll sit on this, count my wins, or did you get the itch and did you get right back in and find another property? Yeah. So that's kind of the great thing about house hacking, right? Is that again, you know, you're allowed to, you're saving, you know, your entire rent plus a little bit more. And so by doing that, I was, I was actually able to save enough to buy another property actually exactly one year later. And so uh, my next property was or is a five bed, two bathroom, a little outside of Denver. So this is more of like a single family home. And in this one, I'm actually occupying a bedroom. So I have my own room with like a bed and a door and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm renting out the other four bedrooms to other people. And so again, kind of same idea. The rent is fully covering the mortgage and a little bit more. So I'm actually cash flowing on that property while I renting out the duplex that I still own full time. So that's cash flowing me and this property is cash flowing me. And now you can kind of see how that snowball starts to build. Yeah. So I guess, could you just give us a picture of what your monthly expenses are? Because it sounds like you have positive cash flow on the housing, which is usually like a third of American expenditure. You're spending minimally in the auto and transportation segment, which is typically the second largest of the average American expenditure. So what do the rest of your bills look like? Like, what are you spending on food? What are you spending on entertainment? Just how much does your lifestyle cost to support right now? So right now, my lifestyle is very, very cheap. I have probably spent about three to $400 a month on food, which I could probably be better about that. But you know, again, like I'm going to eat the way I want to eat. And I eat healthy foods. I eat, you know, but I eat salmon and fish and chicken and all these good things. And I do go out to eat very occasionally. Um, and I kind of am doing a lot of more travel and experience-based stuff. So basically with those things involved, I'm probably spending maybe five or $600 a month. Because I don't have living expense, I don't have a a car expense. It's really just food, and then that's that's really it, you know. So food and entertainment, which is pretty small. <laughs> Dang man, me and Cody try to feel all excited about our savings rates of like eighty percent range, and here you are making us feel like we're just burning money in the backyard. So you're really only spending five to six hundred dollars a month. 
yeah, it's just, you know, it's just the intentional choices that I've made with, you know, again, completely eliminating my housing expense, completely eliminating my transportation expense. You know, that's 50% of the average American's income right there. I don't go out to eat all that much. $300 is almost probably an overestimate for how much I spend on food. Uh, it's just the occasional experiential based thing that I probably do once a month, you know, went hang gliding a couple weeks ago, we'd go out hiking and stuff like that. Like I do a lot of fun things, but those things, those memories that you make are, are, are never going to depreciate and they last forever. So I don't mind spending money on those things. So yeah. And what else, what else do you spend money on? I don't, I get all my books from the library. I don't watch Netflix or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, it's once you get rid of those two big ones, you really, there's not much left over. So is it this five or 600 every month and that's all you're spending for the entire year or are there some additional cash flow drags that you have going on right now? So one big cash flow drag, which which I did neglect to mention earlier, is my student loan expense. So I do have about $750 a month in student loan expenses. And that I did not include in my monthly spending because when I make a payment down towards my student loans, my net worth increases. And that gets me closer to financial independence. Whereas when I buy those other things like food or you know the fun stuff I like to do, that takes me away from financial independence. So that's why I did not include those. And again, there's a debate that goes around about whether you include your student loans or whether you don't. Whatever side you're on is about five, 600 without the student loans or it's about 1,300 with the student loans. Well, for Cashflow 5 specifically, I would include the student loans just because if you were to quit your W-2 job right now and only survive off the cash flow from your side hustles and everything like that, and if it couldn't cover those student loans, eventually they would come back to bite you because the interest would just keep growing and growing. Yeah. And you can't just neglect the loan. So I guess, yeah, there's definitely a debate there where it is increasing your net worth, but you wouldn't be cash flow financially independent if your side hustles and entrepreneurial ventures didn't cover the cost of that student loan expense every month. Right. Yeah. I'm probably right on the cusp of that then. Okay. And so Craig, you're still early in your journey. You're still making sacrifices. I don't even think we touched on how old you are. And I just want to know what the next steps are. When do you plan on maybe starting a family or just starting the next steps of your life? Because I know that you mentioned you don't want to live like this for the rest of your life. So I don't know what the that is if this is not what you want right now. (laughs) Well, so, you know, right now I'm cool with making these sacrifices because I know that it's going to lead to a greater tomorrow. So I'm 25 years old. I started this journey and started realizing about financial independence when I was 23. I bought my first property at 24. And so now I'm 25. You know, at some point I'm going to want to, I do want to take a couple of years off and just start traveling. I want to then, you know, come back and then hopefully start a family. That, and so I'm guessing probably my early to mid thirties will have a family and I want to be able to dedicate hundred percent of my time to raising my kids and doing things that I'm passionate about and that I love doing, which is really the main driver for financial independence for me. Again, it all goes back to what I realized when I first started out with my girlfriend in the last night that I was going to see her, right? I, I wasn't able to spend time with her because I was working. So I want to be able to spend unlimited time with my family whenever I want, you know, as my kids grow up and as my parents grow old. So that is something that really drives me. So something that we have in common, Craig, is that we both love traveling. Like I am obsessed with traveling. I just want to slow travel the whole entire world. So what kind of traveling do you enjoy? And are you doing things like travel hacking to eliminate or at least minimize that expense? Yeah, so I still continuously travel even towards, even while I'm on my journey, because again, I'm like you love traveling. But the only difference now is that I can't really slow travel because I only have a set time off. Probably the max I can get is three to four weeks. So I do travel hack and, you know, I'm sure some of your users know, like just basically through credit cards. Anytime I buy a new property, I get a new credit card because with a new property, you know, you have to furnish it and you have all these expenditures coming up. 
So it's pretty easy to make that $5,000 minimum spend. So I make that minimum spend, collect the points, and you know that will basically pay for my next trip to wherever I want to go. You know, I haven't paid for a flight in you know, probably like 18 months or so because of travel hacking. That's the largest cost. And you know, when I do travel, I like to stay in hostels or find a house sitter or do whatever like that. So you're spending almost nothing on housing either. And so then all you're spending is just on fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, that's, that's what I've been doing too. Travel hacking just unlocks a whole new world. And there's so many people in this community doing it. So that's awesome to hear that that's something that you're passionate about as well. So Something that we haven't really dived into just because I'm so obsessed with side hustles and entrepreneurship is your W-2 job because that is what's restricting you from taking these six-month, year-off type of things. But I also know that you do love your W-2 job. So could you just tell us what you do and why you love it so much? Yeah, so I, I work at a company called Bigger Pockets. Some of you may know, some of you may not know what that is, but basically what Bigger Pockets does is it helps median income earners earn financial independence through real estate investing, which is why you can tell I'm in real estate. And so I love this job because that's literally my number one passion is to help people achieve financial independence and unlock their lives basically so they can do what drives them, what drives their passions. Uh, and so I, I actually love my job. I love everyone I work with and I have no intentions of quitting or retiring at any point soon. But when the time comes where I'm able to, when I want to start traveling, I'm going to, you know, walk in and say, hey, I, you know, I love you guys, but I, I want to take a couple of years off and whether you want to keep me and I can work a little bit remote or not is totally up to them. But once you hit financial independence, you can be in that position where you can basically give your, your job or your employer kind of an ultimatum that says, Hey, you can keep like, this is what's going to happen. Either deal with it or not, you know? So that's kind of where I would like to get to. You know, that idea of FU money is probably the one concept that when you get it, everything really clicks. Like that's what really motivates you. I mean, having that position to walk in whenever you want and just quit because it means you'll always only do jobs that you love because you're secure and you can feel confident in your finances. But that's a confidence that's brought on because you have all that wealth to fall back on. But with these investment properties, I'd love to hear how someone in their early 20s, fresh out of college, found the courage and the confidence to buy these properties at a fairly large price point. Because, I mean, I'm stressing out over a $30,000 property, and you took on a $300,000 property. And I'd also like to know, you know, what criteria are you using to help ensure you end up cash flow positive? So the first part of that question is how did I gain confidence to buy a property? Now, the biggest and easiest way is answer is bigger pockets. You know, I was on bigger pockets probably for like five to six hours a day at the job that I loved oh so much in California. And I was reading books, blog posts, listening to podcasts, all that stuff, and just hearing everyone else do it. And I was like, hey, if anyone else can do it, I can do it. And so then I was thinking, hey, there's I don't know the exact numbers, but there's probably, I don't know, how many people buy houses in a year, right? Like there's probably there's three hundred million Americans like at least 100 million of them probably have their own home. I'm going to hope to say that I am not the dumbest out of 100 million people. So if 100 million other people can do it, I can probably do it too. And bigger pockets kind of helps you get to that first step and make sure that you don't make the same mistakes that everyone else makes. And so one thing that I was looking for in particular was a property that again that I could that was relatively close to the office so I could bike into work and that was intentional and that, so I could live in it for free. In or even make a little bit of money off of it. And so that is why I chose that duplex because I could, you know, I could rent the top out and live in the bottom while renting out part of the bottom out to completely cover the mortgage while still, while biking to work and living in an area that is highly likely to appreciate basically, you know, two miles from downtown Denver and just a few blocks from Denver's largest park. So that is kind of what I looked for in that first property. In the second property, 
that one, you know, the houses price actually increased a lot in that next year in Denver. And so the only one that really worked for me was, you know, this five bed, two bath, just a couple miles north of Denver. And so again, I bought it intentionally close to a bike path. So now I've got about a 10 mile bike ride into work every day. And that's kind of what I do every day. And that's what I look for. And again, I look for a house that I could rent by the room and can still cover the mortgage. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And definitely actionable advice. Cause I feel like you can command a lot more rent when you're renting by the room rather than like a family home, especially if you're in a town like near college or something like that. Cause that's actually an investment type property I've been looking at personally near my girlfriend's college is getting a property like a five bedroom that I can rent out to college students because they're going to pay a hell of a lot more than a family of five is going to pay. That is 100% true. And that is kind of one of the hurdles of investing in a higher priced market is that this property right here right now that I'm in, it, it would probably rent for about 2300 or so if I was to rent it out to a family, right? I am getting 3100 while living for free. And so when I move out, I'll probably be getting like 3800 renting by the room while the mortgage is 2000 So that's like a $1,500 difference between renting a five bed by the room and renting it from a single family. Yeah, and that's huge. And just knowing that, I mean, being in the bigger pockets community probably helped you realize that there are opportunities like that. And you just have to search out and find them. Yeah, you have to, again, if you want to get into this real estate thing, you really have to learn. And so you have to add more tools to the toolbox so you can figure out what to do find a way to make properties work, you know, and nothing I did here is, is the first time anyone is doing anything, right? All of my ideas are just other people's ideas that I'm taking. So like, I'm not this like extremely smart dude that is coming up with all these innovative ways. I'm just taking other people's ideas and implementing them in my own life because they work right. Success leaves clues. So again, not reinventing the wheel, just being smart. Awesome. Yeah. Success leaves clues. That's definitely a, that's definitely a quote of the episode. <laughs> so Craig, if people want to reach out to you, they want to learn more about your story where is the best place they can get in contact with you? Yeah, so you can find me at Bigger Pockets or you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Uh, those are probably the best three places that you can get in touch with me if you want a response within a few days. Okay, Craig, the last question for me is a wild card question. What is the best book you've read in the last six months? In the last six months? It would have to be probably this book called Life and Air. Have you ever heard of that? No. no. So it's basically, it's, it's like, it's not life in air. It's like life in air, like millionaire, but life in air. And basically it's about this guy who lives a very, he makes about $200,000 a year, but also spends like $195,000 a year by having this very lavish house and all of these things. And he works his butt off and he's not spending time with his family. So it's the classic story of this guy, you know, his wife's not happy, his family's not happy, but he, they have all these nice things and they never have any time to use it. And then he basically meets this mentor in a coffee shop or his, his old friend actually from like high school in a coffee shop and he's doing really well, but has a much more modest car, much more modest home, all of these things. And he says, Hey man, like it's not about all this money that all of these things that you have. It's about the time and stuff that you spend with your family and the time and freeing your time up. And basically it's not what you have on your resume. It's what you have on your life resume and adding these experiences to your life resume. And so that kind of changed my perspective a little bit. And it's like, Hey, it doesn't matter. You know, like your house or your car, all these things, or, or like even the jobs that you have and the things that you've done professionally, it's, Hey, what cool things you've done. So at the end of your life, look at your life resume. And like, if you've done cool things and you're satisfied with that, that's what you want to do. So that was a cool book. I definitely recommend it. It's a pretty easy read. And, and it was, it was a fun one. That's definitely going on my to read list. So thank you for sharing that. And 
thank you again for coming on today because you just dropped so many actionable items for our listeners and especially for younger listeners, you can really accelerate your path to financial independence if you're willing to be intentional and willing to maybe make a few sacrifices that other people aren't willing to make. So thank you again, Craig, and I hope you had a good time coming on. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You had me here. Man, Curry, that was a heck of an episode with a lot of actionable tips. I think my favorite part was probably just his wake-up moment. I mean, being in Big Sur, getting interrupted by your boss when you're trying to hang out with your girlfriend, I think we all have a moment like that. Definitely. And I think it might be something in the water here because that's a hometown homie. (laughs) Born and raised, baby. (laughs) And then, I mean, the way he actually sought out his college based on an internship program, I mean, that's pretty next level. And the fact that he was able to pocket, what was it, like 30 grand in a year? That's absolutely insane. I mean, I don't hear of many other college students making that type of money. Yeah, I mean, he said he graduated college with 20 grand in his pocket, not 50 grand in college debt. And then he doesn't just sit there and take that money and go travel the world with it. He starts setting up his life so that he can travel the world forever. This guy is intentional in every single facet of his life. When he found that job at Bigger Pockets, what did he do? He found an investment property, first of all, a two-bedroom, rented out both bedrooms, and set up a curtain in the living room to live <laughs> behind. I mean, <laughs> this guy's doing it to the extreme. He's biking to work every day, so every single one of his actions is saving him money or making him more money, and that's going to pay him huge dividends down the road. But... Whoa! It's that time again. Time for a call to action. (laughs) So this week's call to action hit me pretty hard. Like you were saying before, you know, he went through some kind of extreme measures, but he still ended up extremely happy with his life. And I think what we can all do is go home, examine our lives, and see what is actually excess and what is actually needed. He gave up his car 90% of the time. He lived in a tiny section of a part of a house, and he's still completely happy. So the call to action this week is examine your life and cut what's not necessary. Love it, Justin. I think everyone can just get a little bit better tomorrow and live a better life overall. And if you want to learn more about the episode, you can visit the show notes at thefyshow.com slash Craig. If you want to connect with us, join our Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. Or if you want to get crazy with it, leave us a voicemail at thefyshow.com slash voicemail. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, hit that subscribe button. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Mm-hmm.